June 2015. A deadly mixture of alcohol, jealousy and humiliation will end in murder. Not just one murder, but three. This is the story of Alan Blackie O'Connor. I'm your host Cambo, grab a beer and pull up a deck chair. This is True Crime Island, another true crime podcast. had a very merry Christmas and are all set for a happy new year. Well, this is the last episode for the year and what a year it's been. The island made it into the finals of the most popular category at the Australian Podcast Awards. We, and I mean we, including you, the islanders, have helped spread the word and made this island great. So, I'd like to thank all of you, including the Patreon and PayPal donators, those who rated and reviewed, those who bought some merch and everyone that listened. I appreciate all your support and it's this support that drives me week after week to put out a show. I'd like to thank also all the other podcasters out there that supported the show with their retweets, retweets, posts and promos. This year I did a few crossover shows, one with Samantha from Hidden Staircase and three special shows with my mates from Melbourne, Tara and Barney from Bloody Murder. I hope you like the crossover episodes. They really let me have a bit of fun and wind down from it all. Oh, and a shout out to Diana Biggs. Anyway, more shout outs at the end of the show as usual. So let's get stuck into this case tonight. It isn't a very complex case, but it is an extremely distressing one. The story is set in and around a place called Ningen, which is 576 kilometres or 358 miles northwest of Sydney. And of course, we're talking about Australia. Now, I thought this Ningen fact was funny, and I don't want to offend any listeners who may live out there, but Ningen is situated on the Bogan River and is part of the Bogan Shire Local Council. Now, for those of you who may not know, the term bogan describes your stereotypical stereotypical Aussie that wears thongs, a blue singlet, stubbies, drives a ute and guzzles beer while watching the footy. To translate that, the typical bogan wears flip-flops, a blue singlet, wears shorts, drives a pickup and drinks beer while watching the rugby league or Australian football on TV. So, I know I always have to translate this stuff or or you have to Google it. But yeah, that's what a bogan is. Anyway, Ningen is out the back of fuckfuck and they shear a lot of sheep out there apparently. This all happened just west of Ningen at a place called Hermadale, population around 300, which is a very small village on the barrier highway between Ningen and Cobar. There's a general store, post office, a hotel, service station and a few houses. It's a blink and you'll miss it sort of town consisting mainly of dirt roads. 
So, before we get into the events of the 25th of June 2015, let's get some background on the main characters. First off, there is Alan Jeffrey O'Connor, 61, or Blackie as the locals knew him. He was of slight build and relatively short stature. He lived at a rented place called Cooma, about a kilometre or so from the main pub, the Hermadale Hotel. He was described as a sociable bloke who loved a beer and a chat. He was on Centrelink pension, but he chopped wood for people and did maintenance jobs to supplement his income. He had legally obtained firearms and he was passionate about them. Blackie had previously been married twice and had a daughter and a stepdaughter that he was reasonably close to. He moved to Hermadale in 2008 and was single until he met Rebecca Webb, a 36-year-old recently separated mother of one daughter. In early 2015, Rebecca came to Hermadale where she met a friend, Jacqueline or Jackie Moore. It is through Jackie that Blackie met Rebecca and they quickly became close. So close that Rebecca moved in with Blackie soon after meeting him. Blackie was infatuated with Rebecca, who was 25 years his junior. Blackie loved introducing her to his friends and put her on a pedestal. Friends described him as having a new spring in his step, being besotted with her, proud to show her off as his girlfriend, and that he was ready to settle down. Well, here we have this guy with no job in the middle of fuck fuck, and suddenly this lovely young lady waltzes into town and he sweeps her off her feet. What a romantic fairy tale. Well, it did start off that way, but it didn't last. Now, the other two characters in this story are Stephen Cumberland, who was age 59, and one of his sons, Jacob Cumberland, who was age 28 at the time. Stephen Cumberland married his first wife, Suzanne, in 1975. He had several children, including Jacob, and the family moved from Dubbo to Musselbrook in the early 1990s, where he worked at the Drayton Coal Mine. In the early 2000s, they purchased a property of about 4,500 acres at Hermadale, which they called Naja after one of their children. Stephen went to the property during his times off work. At some point, he and Suzanne separated. Jacob and his father were very close, so Jacob moved to live at Naja while he was a teenager. Naja was about 30 kilometres west of Hermadale pub, or about 20-odd miles on LaRue Road, which is no more than a dirt track. Stephen married Catherine Hyun in 2011, and they remained as a couple until separating in late 2014. So, we have Alan O'Connor, or Blackie as he was known, in a relationship with Rebecca Webb, living at a rental property called Cooma, and Stephen Cumberland with his son Jacob, living at another property called Naja, in two caravans. Now, we get to the day of the 25th of June, 2015. Rebecca sends and receives several text messages of a sexual nature with Stephen Cumberland, who at this stage is in the Dubbo region, according to pings from his mobile phone. Dubbo is about two hours' drive east of Hermadale. Rebecca calls her friend Jackie and arranges to meet her and her husband Gary at the Hermadale Hotel at 1pm. Rebecca also calls Stephen Cumberland and he tells her that he will meet her there at the pub when he gets back into town. At this stage, Blackie is at his property, 
but then he drives to the hotel and arrives there at about 4pm. He sits with Rebecca, Jackie and Gary and there seems to be some friction going on as Blackie leaves the hotel at 4.40pm but Rebecca refuses to go home with him. Almost as soon as Blackie leaves the hotel, Stephen Cumberland with his son Jacob arrive at the hotel and sit with Rebecca, Jackie and Gary. They drink and socialise and have a good time. Blackie rang and spoke with Rebecca at about 5.45pm. He told her to come out, but she said that she was staying at the hotel. A short time later, Rebecca asked one of the hotel licensees if she could stay the night in one of the hotel rooms. For the next 30 minutes, there were several calls and texts sent between Blackie and Rebecca, with Rebecca accusing him of being controlling, of which Blackie tried to defend himself over. And also Rebecca mentioning that Blackie had told her to pack a bag several times in the past. So just from this, you can see that there have been relationship issues in the past, and there wasn't actual physical violence, but obviously they didn't see eye to eye on some things. Blackie drove back to the pub, and he arrived there at 6.15pm. He walked through to the pool room, where he confronted Rebecca, and Jackie leapt to her defence. CCTV footage shows Rebecca and Blackie arguing, and she seemed to gesture for him to leave. Blackie leaves the hotel via a side door and is followed by Rebecca and Jackie. They continue to argue outside for a while and then Rebecca and Jackie return to the hotel and Blackie drives home. There are a series of text messages between Blackie and Rebecca then fucking Jackie gets stuck into him sending him a text message that said she did not want a fucking controlling person so you should get the fuck over it. You should look in the fucking mirror. And you're too fucking old. Blackie replied that she was interfering and trying to break him and Rebecca up. He then sent a text to Rebecca in which he apologised for having been angry and said that he loved her and missed her. Jackie then resent her. She did not want a fucking controlling person. You should get the fuck over it. You should look in the fucking mirror. <laughs> you're too fucking old text again. Fuck's sake. Here we have Rebecca, and I'm not victim blaming here at all, so please don't get me wrong, but she's sexting Stephen Cumberland while living with and in a relationship with Blackie. Rebecca, Jackie and Stephen arrange to meet up for a drink without Blackie at the local pub. Blackie is getting pissed off, and Jackie, Jackie isn't helping at all by getting involved and stirring him up. I suppose it was a little bit of drama and excitement in her typically shitty, boring life. I guess this sort of thing happens everywhere, all the time. Relationship bullshit that goes on. We've all seen it or been part of it. The thing is, shit doesn't normally escalate the way it's going to escalate this day. Anyway, let's get back to the story. At around 7.30pm, Rebecca, Stephen and his son Jacob leave the hotel. They go to his property, Naja. Here, they continue to drink and chat. In the meantime, Blackie has returned home. At around 8.30pm, one of the drinkers at the hotel that had witnessed the goings-on that day, Gilbert Nolan, left the pub and went to Blackie's home. He stayed for about an hour and they had a few beers as they conversed. Blackie told him that he was pretty upset with what had happened earlier in the night. He was upset with the fact that that Stephen was at the pub with Beck. 
Gilbert told Blackie that he'd seen Rebecca leaving with Stephen Cumberland. Blackie told Gilbert of a previous girlfriend that Stephen Cumberland had taken from him and said, he's done it again. Blackie got pissed off even more and shouted that he was going to throw out Rebecca's clothes and she should come down and pick them up. Blackie also ranted that if they come to this place, that he'd shoot them, meaning Rebecca and Stephen. Blackie called Stephen at 9.04pm, but he didn't pick up, so Blackie left a voice message. That message was, Yeah, well, Steve, you better get back to me real fucking quick, you dog. At 9.11pm, Blackie sent a text message, which if you read the exact message, you can see that it was done in a rage as the spelling and grammar is all over the place. But essentially it read, well, you can imagine when you're doing those angry rage texts that just just don't make any sense. Anyway, it said, you fucking bitch, you're not with Jackie, you're with Steve. I thought so. Gilbert stayed with Blackie a little longer and good on Gilbert. He could see that his mate was upset, so he went to check on him and see if he was all right. Well, when Gilbert left, he said, don't do nothing stupid, but Blackie didn't reply. Blackie was what Aussies call spewing, meaning he was getting riled up inside more and more, thinking about Rebecca going off with Stephen, the guy that had once before had stolen a girlfriend off him. Now, people would say of Blackie that he was not jealous or controlling in his relationships with women, that he was honest, that he was not a person who was prone to violence. Aside from a number of drink driving matters, the only offences as an adult had been an assault in 1986 and an assault occasioning actual bodily harm in 1992. But by saying Stephen had stolen a girlfriend previously seems to suggest he, she was his possession, which in turn suggests there was probably not controlling as long as he saw himself in control. But hey, look, I'm no psychologist. I'm a podcast host, so what do I know? Anyway, Blackie is spewing about Rebecca being with Stephen, and this tips him over the edge. He snaps. The guy that not long before was described as being as happy as Larry with a new spring in his step because of his new relationship was now in a very, very dark place. Blackie grabbed a shotgun got in his ute and drove towards Naja, Stephen Cumberland's property. You can just imagine the fury, the rage going on in Blackie's mind as he drove, half tanked, towards the property. It's unclear of the exact chain of events that followed once he got there, but I'll give you an account that fits the best with what would be found the next day. Blackie arrives at Stephen Cumberland's property, Naja, sometime around midnight, of the 25th of June 2015. By all accounts, Rebecca and Stephen were in his caravan, most probably in an intimate situation. Jacob was probably in his caravan just off to the side of Stephen's. Blackie burst into Stephen's caravan and finding Rebecca and Stephen rooting, he unloaded the first shotgun shell into the chest of Stephen, killing him instantly. He then shot Rebecca in the back of the neck. Thinking both were dead, he then set the caravan alight and went outside. It's here that he saw Jacob, who'd come to see what was going on. 
Blackie chased him and shot him once to the rear of the left side of the head, resulting in extensive destruction of the skull and brain. As he hit the ground, Blackie, execution style, shot him again, this time to the right cheek, creating an exit wound in his lower left cheek. Then Rebecca ran out of the burning caravan. Her clothes were alight and she was bleeding from her wounds. In a panic, she ran towards a wrecked car that was near the caravans and then she spotted a small wading pool and ran towards it to try and extinguish her burning clothes and get some relief from the burn she was suffering. As she hit the water, Blackie stood over her and shot her again. Rebecca suffered a massively destructive shotgun wound to her left cheek, which would have killed her almost instantly. Stephen's caravan was now fully engulfed in flames and was totally destroyed. Blackie then drove home. The following morning, Mark Smith and Rick Whitaker went to Naja by pre-arrangement with Stephen Cumberland to do some goating. Now, Islanders, I don't know what goading is, but it has an entry in the Urban Dictionary. But somehow, I don't think that's what they were going to do. So, I guess it's got something to do with goats, but for the life of me, I have no fucking idea. Anyway, Mark Smith and Rick Whitaker turn up on the morning of the 26th of June to a horrific sight. First, they find the body of Jacob Cumberland. It was face down in the dirt near the large caravan and the wading pool. Next, they find the body of Rebecca, which was face down in the wading pool. The large caravan had been completely burned out. Stephen Cumberland's body was later found on a bed within the caravan. There was so little left of the body of Stephen Cumberland after the fire had ravaged the large caravan that officers had to cut the exposed wire frame of the bed in order to remove his remains without further disintegration. Blackie put on a business-as-usual front on the morning of the 26th. The news started to break in the early afternoon and he feigned a concern that his missus was missing. He was interviewed by police that afternoon at the hotel. He lied to them about his whereabouts the night before. In an attempt to conceal his motive, he also lied by saying that he had not known of Rebecca being involved with Stephen Cumberland until he'd been told about it by Jackie Moore a little earlier that day. And as police would find out, he knew about it the night before when Gilbert told him. Police asked Blackie to attend Ningen Police Station on Sunday the 28th of June, where he would be arrested and would remain in custody until his trial, charged on three counts of murder. He would plead not guilty at trial, and as is his right, he did not give evidence in that trial or in the sentence proceedings. I'll just read from the judgment summary. Well, I have changed it a little bit easier to make it better on the ears, but virtually the whole thing's here. The Crown case was that Blackie became jealous and enraged when he found out on the evening of Thursday, the 25th of June, 2015, that his girlfriend, Rebecca Webb, had gone home with Stephen Cumberland after having spent some time with him at the local pub, the Hermadale Hotel. Blackie went to the property where Mr Cumberland and his son Jacob lived and shot all three with a shotgun. He shot Stephen Cumberland in the chest and Jacob Cumberland and Rebecca Webb in the head. Death was immediate. 
As a further indignity, Blackie set fire to the caravan in which Stephen Cumberland had been killed. There was very little left of his body after the fire had burned out. The Crown case was a relatively strong one. The defence case involved a denial that Blackie was the perpetrator and the advancement of various theories as to others who might have had a motive. None of the alternative theories had any merit. Most were based upon little more than pure speculation. They all suffered from the problem of explaining why somebody else with a motive to kill would have chosen of all occasions the night of the 25th and 26th of June 2015 to act upon it. Coincidentally, the same night on which a motive arose in Blackie. Now Blackie was to be found guilty, but before I go into the sentencing, I want to just give you some of the judge's comments. Again, I will substitute the name Blackie in the comments to avoid confusion rather than use his proper name, which the judge did use. I am satisfied that Blackie murdered Stephen Cumberland and Rebecca Webb because of base jealousy and humiliation. In other words, because of his personal inadequacy. His thinking was that Mr. Cumberland had taken a girlfriend off him before and now he'd done it again. This angered and humiliated him, particularly because of the public display of events at the Hermadale Hotel on the afternoon and evening of the 25th of June. Jacob Cumberland was murdered simply because he was present. He had to be eliminated as a potential witness. First, Rebecca Webb was in an intimate domestic relationship with Blackie. She was killed because of his jealousy about her finding interest in another man. Crimes of violence against domestic partners require a substantial emphasis upon deterrence in the sentencing response. That a person can extinguish the life of their partner because he or she might show an interest in another person is the antithesis of what a mature, humane and law-abiding society will tolerate. The second point is that these murders occurred in someone's home. It was a serene and remote environment, but a place where the three victims were entitled to safety and security. The offender's invasion of that home environment with his murderous actions is an aggravating factor. The third matter concerns Stephen Cumberland and the offender's mutilation of his body, by setting fire to the caravan after he'd been shot to death. One can only assume that this was the mark of Blackie's desire to punish and seek revenge for having been humiliated. It is yet another matter of aggravation. I am satisfied that the thought of a shooting response occurred to Blackie during his conversation with Gilbert Nolan when he heard the humiliating news that Stephen Cumberland had taken another girlfriend from him and that Rebecca, with whom he was infatuated and planned a future, had betrayed him. Probably after cogitating on this for a while after Gilbert left, he gathered his shotgun and a sufficient quantity of ammunition, as well as his dolphin torch, and drove to Naja. It would have been a slow drive that night, at least half an hour, which would have given him time to think through what he was going to do. On arrival at Naja, it is likely that Blackie parked at the front gate and made his way on foot up to 700 metres of driveway in order not to forewarn the occupants of his arrival. He probably went first to the large caravan and there saw Stephen Cumberland and Rebecca Webb. He shot Stephen and set fire to the caravan. 
Rebecca got caught up in the fire and suffered some serious burns. She managed to escape. Blackie went after her. He may have shot her elsewhere first, but we know for sure that he discharged the fatal shot when she was in the pool. Jacob Cumberland was no doubt aroused by all the noise and he was shot and killed as he went to investigate. So, much like I thought after looking at the crime scene evidence, the more more you get into true crime, the more you can come to reasonable theories based on what you read. Anyway, he goes on. This is all a matter of inference from the known facts. It must be stressed that the state of the crime scene was such that not all facts can be determined with precision. What I am satisfied beyond reasonable doubt about is that Alan Blackie O'Connor was responsible for the most brutal slaying of three innocent people. It is conceded that he intended to kill rather than merely cause serious harm. That is obvious from his firing at close range into the chest of Stephen Cumberland. It is obvious from his callous and brutal shooting of Rebecca Webb as she cowered in the wading pool. And it is obvious from his firing two shots into the head of Jacob Cumberland, the last probably as he lay prone on the ground. Alan Blackie O'Connor did not simply intend to kill. He intended to blast every essence of life from each of his victims by discharging his shotgun at their chest or head at close range, thereby to cause the most horrific injuries imaginable. On the objective facts alone, this is clearly a case in the very worst category of murder. That finding applies to each of the three murders. I am satisfied beyond reasonable doubt that Alan Blackie O'Connor's level of culpability is at such an extreme level that the community's interest in the combined effects of deterrence, retribution and punishment can only be served by the imposition of life sentences. I am not persuaded that I should impose anything less. For each of the murders of Rebecca Webb, Stephen Cumberland and Jacob Cumberland, the offender is convicted. Upon each convicted, he is sentenced to imprisonment for life. Well, there you go, Islanders, another senseless act of violence that ended in the deaths of three people. As the title of this episode alludes to, it was jealousy and humiliation that led to this tragic event. What made Blackie snap is known, but what made him seek revenge on such a scale is what we may never know. This guy was just your average knockabout bloke. No real history of domestic violence, certainly no recent history of violence at all. Yet he was able to murder two people that pissed him off and a third that just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. We can talk about gun laws and all that and New South Wales has pretty strict gun laws. But good luck ever getting guns out of the country or rural areas. Out there they actually have a reason to have guns. Well, Alan Blackie O'Connor won't be getting out for a long time, if ever, being 64 years old now. Still, that doesn't really help the friends and family of the deceased. Again, let's hope the karma bus takes Blackie to Boomfagalunga for this senseless act of shitness. So that wraps up another year for True Crime Island. Before I get into the Patreon shoutouts... I would like to thank everyone who supported the show in various forms this year. A big shout out to Senga, Jason, Erica and Susan. 
that they helped me out so much in moderating the Facebook page, keeping all of us, including me, in line. Also, a shout out to the lovely Katie for putting up with me and my all my boomfuckalunga stuff. So, to the Patreon shout outs for the last episode of the year. I'd like to thank, and these came in just the last couple of days, Lisa Oz, Sophia, Sharice, Maggie James as always, Maggie, Kate, Tony with an I, Jayesh, Matthew. Now, this one, I'm not sure how you pronounce your name. I think it's Ayn Corbett. Bella, Susan and Robert, thank you for all your support at the island. It's very much appreciated. As you know, the island is commercial free. And as you probably hate ads as much as I do. (laughs) So if you want to support the island, you can. For as little as a dollar a month, become a patron at patreon.com forward slash true crime island. Or if you just want to donate a one-off, you can go to paypal.me forward slash true crime island. You can also get into some island wear at truecrimeisland.threadless.com where you can grab a boomfuckalunga t-shirt, hoodie, tote bag. I've even got beach towels. The most popular is the mug of rage. But order all the mugs in white, please. The black ones don't don't look so good. If you want keychains, koozies, or lapel pins, you need to contact me directly. And you can contact me on this for anything, actually. Cambo at truecrimeisland.com is my email. I can sort you out. There's only a couple of bottle koozies left, but plenty of keychains and pins. But you can also support the island by rating and reviewing and sharing the podcast with friends and family. I'm on most of the social media's things. Just search for True Crime Island. As I said, if you do want to contact me regarding a case, please send me an email. And sometimes I do get lost in all the social media stuff. So just before I... I want to say that before I created the island, I was just a dude. But over the last two and a bit years, it's been you, the listeners, that have made this show worthwhile in putting together each week. You've made this what it is now, and I promise to do my best to make it even better next year. So I have to I have to shout out. Do I have to shout out again to Dana? Hi, Dana. How are you? Anyway, that's it, Islanders. This is your host, Cambo. Grab a beer and pull up a deck chair. Delete your browser history and boom, fuck a Good night.